0: Brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what is up for you, Post GP New
1: Jersey? How's it going? It's all downhill, Ben. The highs were so high, the lows have been so low. I miss hanging out with everybody last weekend. It was so fun. Yeah, I have. I played some Magic Online and it felt real good to be back (laughs) on Magic Online. Not going to lie. Yes, I agree with that, though. I have to say I've started like shuffling cards together on stream, which I'm sure is horrifically annoying for viewers. But I do like the tactile feeling. Yeah, I could
0: do without that. Just give me give me Magic Online tournaments.
1: Well, speaking of giving you magic online tournaments, how are things going on the MTGO Therese Beyond Death trophy
0: leaderboard streets? Uh, Still not great, mostly because I haven't had a chance to draft a lot. I've only done three more drafts since the last time we recorded because I've been insanely busy because I probably shouldn't have actually gone (laughs) to GP New Jersey. So I spent the whole week trying to catch up with that. And then I, as you can hear, got a little sick. So I've not done much drafting. I'm up to 19 drafts, 33 and 23 overall record, only two trophies and a 59% win rate so still struggling to figure out the
1: format. I am at 45 total drafts, 94 and 39 14 trophies and a 71% win rate. I feel like I'm I'm hitting a good patch of variance these days. Yeah, we to uphold the honor of the podcast. I'll see what I can do to to join you. I'm doing my it's the least I can do. You uh you uphold the honor every other format, so I think uh I think it's my turn to to carry the load this time. All right, so a few housekeeping things before we dive into the meat of the episode. This week we're talking about THB equals threats on board. let we'll am be talking about some general format ideas, maybe check in on our re-ranking of the top commons. And then we're going to dive into some archetype deep dive breakdowns. Before we get into any of that, we got to talk about the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. The Discord is popping. Look, that's the base level thing that you get for giving back to the show. We've got a lot of other things you can get access to, show notes in advance of the episode's release. You can get access to our spreadsheets with every single draft log and deck pick of all the drafts that Ben and I do. You can get access to a private section of the Discord. You can even get access to monthly coachings from one of your hosts. That is all available for you on the Patreon page. And each and every week, we want to make sure we welcome our new patrons. This week, we're welcoming to the fold Keenan, John, Colin, Clint, Clark, wesley hecking jen david anthony james tim landon andrew peter and carson thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah
0: cannot say thank you enough really appreciate everyone that supports the podcast in any way whether it is subscribing to the patreon or listening every week or just telling some people at your local fnm about how good our podcast is
1: yeah really appreciate all the support we get no matter in what form it comes. All right, let's let's uh, let's just dive right in, Ben. We got a lot to go over this week. And I think, as always, a good springboard for the discussion is a round table. So I'm going to throw a draft that I had yesterday at you. You ready to take a seat? Let's do it. Okay, so top commons in contention out of pack one, pick one. Uh, we've got an Iroas's blessing. That's the three and a red deal for Aura that gives plus one, plus one. Um, Omen of the Sea, new top blue common, Ben. Are you on board?
0: I am on board. Omen of the Sea is great. But since we've decided it's the top blue common, I have not seen hardly any of them in any
1: packs anywhere. <laughs> Classic why me mentality over there. Uh, yeah, you know, we so for folks who don't know, we did a, a whole limited testing meeting on the eve of GP New Jersey with me, you, Corticals, calls, a couple other folks that we were staying with and uh, are in our discord and Twitch chats and uh And we ranked all the cards. All six of those videos are now on YouTube with like card image overlays. I think it's really good content, a lot of good discussions. And Quarter Calls came out with Omen of the Sea, Top Blue Common, is that a hot take? And you were like, it is a fairly hot take, but I think I'm on board with it. And I wasn't at the time. I was like, this seems crazy to me. But the more and more I thought about it, the more Omen of the Sea just fits into every blue archetype and you want multiples of them. And that's what I'm looking for in a top common of a color. The fact that like it doesn't have diminishing returns. Like you want it in blue green constellation, you want it in blue black control. You want it in blue white control. You want it in blue red drago. It's just very, very good. Yep. Not really anything else in contention. Blight breath catablipus at common. Moving on to the uncommons, there's whirlwind denial, the two in a blue instant uh counter target spell, unless it's controller pays four, or I guess you can get cute if like, you know, a saga Trigger goes off and they do something in response. Anyway, uh, Siona, captain of the Pileas, Pileas, whatever. I don't know. One green, white for the two-two. Uh, essentially, it's Heliod's Pilgrim. You like look at the top seven, reveal an aura, and whenever an aura becomes attached to a creature you control, you get a 1-1. One, one. It's just worse than Heliod's Pilgrim, right? I mean, generally, right? Like, di- more difficult to cast. You can't have multiples of them. Yeah, just worse than Heliad's Pilgrim. This is one of the reasons I have a hard time figuring out what green-white is trying to do or, like, if green-white is good in the format. This card trips me up a little bit. Yeah, I think green-white is not good. That's my feeling. Meyer Triton is up next. One on a black for the 2-1 Zombie Merfolk with Death Touch. When it ETBs, you mill 2 and gain 2 life. Hey, Venomous Hierophant is a 3-3 Death Touch draw card. This is basically two mana, two one death touch, gain two life, draw a card. And Nyx Lotus, probably about the worst rare in the set, uh, the four mana legendary artifact. What, what do you like out of this pack, then?
0: Yeah, so I think of the commons, erois's Blessing is the best of the commons. And I think of the uncommons, Meyer Triton is the best uncommon. So comparing those two, and this is a really interesting discussion point for the format, I think, is whether or not to fight over black with people. And it's something I've really been struggling with. I've been trying to get into black since the start of the format, and it has very rarely worked out that black is open ever. I feel like I'm always fighting with three, four other drafters, especially this week after LR came out and said that black was the best color and, you know, pretty significant margin. It feels like on MTGO, a lot of people are trying to draft black. So I think there's a world where Meyer Triton is the best card in the pack. I think it's the most powerful card in the pack. It's very close with a Rose's blessing. And I almost want to not take Meyer Triton to avoid the storm that is four to five people trying to draft black. I feel like red's much more likely to be open, and I think the cards are close in power level. But I do think there's very good players that think you should try to draft black no matter what. Like, I was tweeting at Dustin Stern. He posted, you know, that you should only be drafting black, blue, or white in the format, you know, really avoiding red and green. And I tweeted sarcastically, what's it like to have black open in your drafts? And he replied, well, you can make it open. And I do think that can happen to a certain extent, but I feel like I've tried to do that some as well. And when I do that, people move in underneath me in pack two. And then I just end up getting no black from either direction after having done the work of cutting it for my neighbor in pack two. So still trying to figure that out. And right now I am on the, if it's close, I'm steering away from black drain. How do you feel about that?
1: That's where I'm at too. I think I agree with all the points you're making. And I agree with Dustin to an extent, but I think you need to be like going into black for the right cards. And I don't think Meyer Triton is quite at that threshold. If we're talking about Farika spawn, Elspeth's Nightmare, Timurate level stuff, then yeah, I think that's an uncommon in black that I would take over iros's blessing. But something like Meyer Triton that's like, you know, probably on par with or maybe slightly below drag, like, I don't think it's worth it because what's going to happen is black will be open ish because it's a deep color. Like, you know, even the worst or the like lowest commons are still pretty good, you know, looking at like Discordant Piper or whatever. Like, those are cards that you're still going to play. But are those the kind of cards that you want to be forced to pick fourth because you've taken black card, black card, black card? I think that's when you need to go, well, is the power level of the black card that I've taken worth getting these shallow commons or not shallow commons, but like the lower level black commons once the rest has been picked over? Is it worth it for me to be holding on to black for dear life? And I don't think Meyer Triton is above that threshold.
0: So would you take Meyer's Grasp and Final Death over Eros' Blessing here?
1: Yes, I think so. Certainly Meyer's Grasp. I'm not going to not take the best common in the set just because I want to avoid black. Is that where you're at right now?
0: No, I'm not. I would also take both of those cards over Blessing, but I think Meyer Triton is a notch worse than those, and I think that's where the line is for me. Like, those are what I'm willing to fight over black for. Not quite Meyer Triton.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I grabbed Irosa's Blessing here. I also think it's worth noting that it is the literal only red card in the pack. So there's something to be said for that as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two. We've got a Warbriar's Blessing and a Pious Wayfarer and a Blight Breath Catablipus at common. Uh, moving on to the Uncommons, there's another Meyer Triton. A Glimpse of Freedom, the one in a blue draw card with Escape and Agonizing Remorse. One in a black for a sorcery target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an on-land card from it or a card from their graveyard, and you exile that card and lose one life.
0: I have loved Agonizing Remorse as a card in Sealed and in Draft. How do you feel about Remorse over Triton and Catablipus?
1: I definitely like Remorse over Catablipus, or at least Remorse number one over Catablipus number one. It's very close with Meyer Triton. I think I'm on Meyer Triton ahead of it. If only for the reason of, I think the rest of the world doesn't like agonizing remorse, basically at all. Right. That makes sense. But I think they're very, very close in power level.
0: So then I think we're trying to decide between Meyer Triton and Warbriar Blessing here, because I think Meyer Triton's ahead of Catablipus as well. Mm-hmm. So we've got sort of the same philosophical question, right? Are we willing to fight over black for Meyer Triton? And knowing we're passing two other good black cards here and that we're likely to get cut in pack two, because we pass in black cards, we know people are going to fight over it. I say no. I say we take Warbriar Blessing and I think we ship this black along. I don't think these cards are quite good enough that I want to fight over black.
1: Yes, I agree. And Warbriar Blessing is a card that has risen in my estimation since the crash course pretty considerably. I, I like this card a lot in basically every green deck.
0: And so this is... We're, we're picking a worse card than Meyer Triton, right? I think Meyer Triton's a better card than Warbrier Blessing. Yes. Yeah, that's what I think as well.
1: And I think that's okay. I think like th- these tiebreakers of like thinking about the black train that you want to get on or the black train that you want to let pass you by is important in this format in particular because of how much better black is. And like black is very good and it's very deep. And so I think, as we said in our limited testing meeting, I think it can support four drafters comfortably or, or semi-comfortably. But the question is like how good are the cards that you're taking in black to get you into fighting with three other people for that color. And I think Meyer Triton's just not quite there. Yep, makes sense to me. All right, pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. No good red cards to speak of to follow up the Aeroas's Blessing. Um, Really not any good green cards either, like the best one being Nylea's Huntmaster. Uh, We still have three uncommons in the pack. Threnody Singer, the one in a blue flash, Flyer, one three. When it ETBs, gives a creature minus X minus O until end of turn where X is your devotion to blue. Sea God's Scorn, four blue blue for a sorcery. Return up to three target creature and or enchantments to their owner's hand and dawn evangel two and white for the two three enchantment creature whenever a creature dies if an aura you control was attached to it return target creature card with cmc two or less from your graveyard to your hand
0: yeah this is a fairly weak pack here best card in the pack i think is threnity singer as far as i'm concerned only black card in the pack is discordant piper worth noting that if you go on black card, black card then you're third picking discordant piper i guess you could take threnity singer still here but i think this is an example of Black tends to dry up really quickly these days. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, you know, there's nothing red and green wise that really stands out to me. So I'm going to take Threnody Singer here and see what comes.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. So we've gone red removal spell, green removal spell, blue, you know, tricky evasive, cheap threat. So happy with where we're at right now in terms of just like can go a number of different directions. Pack one, pick four. And in terms of top commons, we've got an Incendiary Oracle in red. And then at the uncommon level, there is a Nyx Herald, the two and a green, two, three enchantment creature at the beginning of combat on your turn, target enchanted creature or enchantment creature you control gets plus one, plus one and gains trample until end of turn and escape velocity, single red aura, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one and has haste and it has escape, one and a red exile, two cards.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting pack here. Not a lot going on. No real blue or black cards that we're excited about. So for me, I'm trying to decide between Incendiary Oracle and nix Nyx Herald. I'm pretty down on Nick's Herald as a magic card. I think probably too low, but I've had some pretty bad experiences with it. And of our red and green cards, I like Eros's Blessing a lot better than Warbriar Blessing. So I think I'm on Incendiary Oracle here over Nick's Herald, hoping to stay red rather than move into green.
1: Yeah, so I think these cards are fairly similar ish on power level to me. My one thought right now is that no one, the rest of the world is not high on Incendiary Oracle. I see that card wheel. Often enough that I don't think everyone else has it as the second best red common the way you and I do, uh, and Nick's Herald I think is a card that you and I are lower on than the rest of the community. So I I, I felt like Nick's Herald pick four was more of a signal than Incendiary Oracle, and I I like Warbriar Blessing enough, and I'm pretty high on the blue green constellation deck. I felt like I'd rather be green red or green blue than have outs to be red green or red blue because I'm pretty low on being a red blue deck based on us having a red, a green, and a blue card so far. So all of those considerations were what led me to take Nick's Herald here. But I think Oracle is very defensible.
0: Yeah, I think I'm more willing to draft red, blue. I think that's the difference.
1: Yeah. Pack one, pick five is a pretty interesting pick here, especially given that you took Oracle last. So in terms of our commons here, we've got a Witness of Tomorrows, an Omen of the Sea, and an Omen of the Forge. And then at uncommon, oh, baby, a Mischievous Chimera, blue, red, two, two, enchantment creature with flying whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn. It deals one damage to each opponent and you scry one. Yeah, I think
0: looking at this, I would take Mischievous Chimera and look to draft blue, red. I think that would give me a strong bit of direction. I think that's a signal going pack one, pick five, as well as still seeing both the red and the blue omen here would be a little sad about shipping the blue omen because I really love that card. But I think Mischievous Chimera is a good one.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that if you take an Oracle last, Mischievous Chimera feels like a slam dunk here. Having not taken that and having taken a a green card, it felt kind of bad to take a Mischievous Chimera when Omen of the Sea feels like a totally reasonable card. And again, I can still move into blue-red, with the rose's blessing or i can have two blue cards and two green cards that are pretty nice in a blue green constellation deck so i grabbed omen of the sea here but it's possible that i should have just sucked it up and taken the chimera though surprisingly ben if you jump ahead to pick 13 guess what wheels no mischievous chimera wow yeah pretty crazy. so where did you end up here so i ended up taking uh a handful of blue cards a starlet mantle next vexing gull niad of hidden coves on the wheel i grabbed a return to nature the glimpse of freedom nylea's huntmaster, and then saw the chimera and i was like holy cow and then pack two pick one i opened up pelucranos and so i was like well this is like one of the best cards in the set i can easily go blue green and blue green is a good home to splash pelucranos um so i took pelucranos here and then out of a very weak pack two, pick two, I got past Nightmare Shepherd. Or I shouldn't say out of a very weak pack two, pick two, because there is an Iros's Blessing in the pack. But I got past Nightmare Shepherd, the two black, black, four, four flyer that says whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you can exile it. And if you do, you make a one, one token copy of it. So I, I snapped that up and basically just sort of warped my entire draft around those two cards. I ended the draft and built a fifteen land triple travelers amulet deck Ooh. that was based blue green and splashed both pelucranos and Nightmare Shepherd. That sounds spicy. It was pretty spicy. I got pretty lucky in terms of a lot of my draws. Like got to hit land pelucranos on turn four a bunch of games that just like went unanswered. Um, and I did end up trophying with that deck, which was kind of wild to me. And I think just sort of shows like the delta and power level is pretty wide in this format. And so when you get when you have like sort of no direction and get powerful cards like Pulucronos or Nightmare Shepherd, I think they are sort of war- worth warping your draft around. Yeah, for sure. So I-, I wanted to just dive into some general format thoughts from the week. Again, talking about our six-part series on YouTube of our limited meeting, I think that's worth checking out. And having, you know, gone through and editing all of those, I got to like re-watch our discussions. And I think I feel pretty good a week out from those about where I... Land in terms of like, I felt like I agree still with what we talked about. The biggest mover down for me so far is Elysian Carry Added. I think this card I came in really hot on, I thought it was the best green common. It is now, I think, out of even my top three green commons. I think it's at its best in red green, where you can sort of have an explosive start or if you're splashing. But I think most other decks don't really care about the effect. And then when when all is said and done, that card just feels like a mulligan after you sort of, you know, even if you get like Typhon on turn three or whatever. At a certain point, you're like, I'm flooding out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the reasons that my win rate is so terrible, because I've had a lot of carry added in a lot of my decks, and I've done a lot of splashing. There's just a really real cost to that in this format. You end up with oftentimes 20 mana sources, and then you have to play cards like Thirst for Knowledge or whatever that are also air to help mitigate flooding. It just feels like a lot of your deck is devoted to casting a few cards, and then if those cards get answered... You're really in trouble. Yeah.
1: Uh, I wanted to touch on a couple rares that I think are are sort of misunderstood in the format right now. One one people are too low on, one people are too high on. The first here is Nessian Boar. This is the 3GG for a 10-6. All creatures that can block it each turn must do so. And every time a creature blocks it, its controller draws a card. Uh, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago. I did four drafts and in three of them, I got past Nessian Boar. This card is better than all the commons and uncommons. Don't pass it. Right. Like I was going to say, like, maybe it's close with Farika's spawn, but I still think I would take it over spawn. The card is very, very powerful. It feels similar to a Planeswalker in that, like, as soon as it hits the battlefield, the entire game warps around it. It's like, okay. How do I deal with blocking this and not getting blown out by my opponent having a combat trick? Can I mess with them? Also, you don't have to attack every turn with it. Like, it's just a 5 mana 10-6. It's so much stats.
0: Yeah, card is great.
1: Uh, Shadow of the Sky is another card that I... I keep passing, not getting passed to me. And I keep being asked about it by Twitch chat a lot of the time. Um, I think our discussion in our limited testing video on the rares and mythics, I think really nailed it. You you said in our conversation, you were like, it leads you down a path you don't want to go down.
0: Yeah, I think this card is not a great card. I think in the format just a wrath without like the draw card clause on it if people control a creature power 4 or greater is not good because of escape as a mechanic and then combine that with how assertive the white decks want to be like really you're only playing this in blue white control or maybe like a white black controlling deck and even then it's going to be a fine card and Wraths in Limited just have not felt as good to me as they used to. And this one being in a format with escape and having the draw card clause for your opponent, like it's rare that you're ever really going to savage your opponent with the card. Can it get you out of some situations that no other card could? Yes, but I don't think it's worth picking early and or trying to build around. Agree.
1: Okay, then next up here is an article that came out on DraftSim this week. And the title, I think you'll really appreciate, is Traveler's Amulet the Golden Egg of Theros Beyond Death? Thoughts, feelings?
0: I mean, that's a spicy title. I I like the title. I appreciate the title. And I do think if you're splashing... Traveler's Amulet is the best way to splash because it puts a card into your graveyard for escape and you can sort of run it as a land and avoid the problem we talked about with carry added or having to use an altar of the Pantheon where you end up with 18, 19, 20 mana sources in your deck. But I don't think it's you're not picking it third happily like you were a golden egg in Eldraine. So I, I appreciate the sentiment and the feeling. And I do think if you want to splash Travelers Amulet, it's the way to go. But I don't think it's that high of a pick.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really well written article really talks about like sort of the pros and cons of the card. And I think it's interesting going into the format. I thought Travelers Amulet was kind of a junker, but I'm much higher on it now. And I'm even at the point where if I'm in a deck that has any escape card, I'm basically replacing my 17th land with an amulet just because it's essentially your 17th land, like the format isn't fast enough, or like it doesn't feel like you're going to stumble that much uh, when you have that card in your deck as your seventeenth land, and it just adding the value of being a quarter or a third of one of your escape cards, I think is pretty big. So I think amulet has you know much like golden egg was sort of a, a slow burn. I think maybe not for you. I think you picked up on that pretty fast. But for for the rest of the world, I think golden egg was maybe a slow burn in terms of how many tiny applications it has. And I think amulet working so well with escape is something to keep in mind in this format. Yep. Lastly, here before we get into re-rankings, uh, we got an email. Question from uh, a listener, Jared, and I've been asked some similar questions elsewhere. So I think I wanted to address this on the podcast uh, just to sort of have it as a discussion. So we have this question during War of the Spark and Dominaria. You guys talked multiple times about wanting to stay open and taking the best picks overall. And you weren't worried about settling on a color or color pairs till halfway through pack one. But in your most recent episode, you refer to taking the best card each time for the first four picks, even though they are different colors as, quote, herp derping around. <laughs> I have also noticed that for all of Eldraine's roundtables and the start of this set that you guys are definitely trying really hard to stick to your first pick color, certainly to an extent I would consider forcing. Is that intentional? Has your draft philosophy on that front changed? Is it something particular to these two sets? So so I have some answers here, Ben, but uh, do you want to maybe t- take a shot at answering any of these questions first? Yeah, I think,
0: first of all, Herp Derping Around originated on my stream when Amaz was Skyping in uh, just to describe me doing what you described, taking multiple cards of multiple different colors, trying to find a lane I was going down. And his his point was, if I'm doing that, I'm giving up on early picks and not playing those cards. And he was thinking that what you're describing, I should try harder to affect the draft and or carve a lane out for myself and make the other people in the draft react to me rather than being the one in the draft that does the reacting. And it's a really interesting conversation that's highlighted on my Twitch if you want to check that out uh, as a video on demand twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. But I do think I disagree that in Eldrain. We were trying really hard to stay to one color. I felt like Eldraine was the most flexible draft format on the planet. And I took forever to figure out what I was going to do. Because once you found your lane, you got so hooked up and all of the decks were so good and so viable.
1: Yeah, I want to throw out that it may have seemed sometimes that as a tiebreaker, we wanted to stay close to one color because there were payoffs you know, there were actually five monocolor decks in that format. So you had incentives to go, well, if it's looking like I can go monocolor or near monocolor, then I I should, because that's a viable lane to go down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So my two cents here are that the the difference in Eldraine, I think, exists with Theris Beyond Death. For Theris Beyond Death, I feel pretty strongly about a few things. One, that the power level of cards in the format drops off pretty significantly from like the cards you're going to get picks one, two, and three to the rest of the pack, like the best on commons, the rares, and even the top commons. And then everything else is a pretty big jump below that. And so for me, when I open a card like the Acroan War or, you know, similarly powered cards, I'm going to have a lot of tiebreakers throughout the pack. Unless red is like clearly not open and some other color is really flowing or whatever. I'm going to do my best to hold on to red that pack because it's unlikely I'm going to see a card as powerful as the Acroan War for the rest of that pack. And then I also think it's important, or I'm going to try often enough to be deep into one color, like we talk about on drafting with the bots on arena, I'm going to try and be deep in one color in Theros Beyond Death specifically, so that I have the benefit of what do I open in pack two? And if it's that powerful, if it's at that level of like a and War status, that like A-level status card, that I can take that and then move into that as my second color. I feel pretty bad if I'm deep into two colors at the end of pack one, I feel like the rest of the draft is much less flexible for me in terms of being able to have those powerful cards in my deck.
0: Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think one of the keys to Theros Beyond Death for me is what you talked about, trying to get those cards and trying to get yourself into a color and then using the rest of the cards that are not at that same power level to build the best synergistic shell for your deck that you can around those great cards that you're getting packs one, two, three. I think that's what really separates out the great decks from the two, one decks is if you can get the pieces from the filler cards that buoy up all the rest of the cards in your deck and work similarly on a strategy with the powerful uncommons and rares that you get.
1: Yeah. I think there are very few build arounds in this format. It feels like there are are very few, like greater than the sum of their parts decks, which is why I'm latching on to those powerful cards so much, and then figuring out the rest later, like figuring out, okay, so what cards are going to help support this? Does my green deck want to be more curve out? Does it want to be more rampy? Am I splashing? Like figuring out those identities of my deck, but really like trying to boost those powerful cards that I've picked.
0: Yeah, I wonder if this format rewards constructed deck building ideas more than a typical limited format because there aren't clear build arounds that then you need to know how with those blue control cards to build a good control deck or and I I think those are the two decks that are greater than some of their parts. I think the blue control decks and I think the white aggressive decks really are synergy decks at heart but not in the sense of you get an uncommon and they point you in a direction you build around them you have to know how all these commons work together to make an aggro deck or to make a control deck
1: agree completely so let's uh let's talk about i think we we're mostly on the same page here um from where we were last week but let's let's talk real quickly about re-ranking these top commons for the third and and hopefully final time yeah so in white run
0: dreadful apathy number one Have Daybreak Chimera tentatively number two. There was some discussion in the Discord when I posted this there that it might not be in the top white commons at all anymore, which is interesting to me. Um, And at the number three slot, Heliod's Pilgrim and Hero of the Pride, sort of depending on which route you're going down. I think I have Hero ahead of Pilgrim, but it's a very close pick.
1: Yeah, Hero and Pilgrim are, I think, it's not like they want to go in two separate decks. I think once you know you're the Hero deck, you definitely take Hero over Pilgrim. But I think Pilgrim is perhaps a more flexible card, like every white deck basically wants Pilgrim, and some white decks want Pilgrim more than Hero. It's hard, hard for me to imagine getting Chimera out of there, but though you said that a lot of people were saying that the Main Pegasus was pretty close to Chimera. And I have been very impressed by Sunmain Pegasus. Even activating that card once feels like a big life swing.
0: Yeah, I've been impressed by the Pegasus as well. The points that were raised in favor of Chimera by me were, you know, they were trying to knock it because you only wanted a heavy white deck, but I think most white decks want to be a heavy white deck, but there are flavors of white that aren't that, and Chimera is not as good there. For example, if you're blue-white control or whatever, Daybreak Chimera is not going to be an insane card in your deck. Daybreak Chimera is at its best in the Pious Wayfarer, you know, curve out, beat you down, hope to cast your Chimera on turn three deck. But I could see Hero of the Pride being more important than Daybreak Chimera to that white aggro deck that wants to play with the Rappin' Flames. We're going to outline that here in a second. So Daybreak Chimera is on my watch list as a potential mover down.
1: Yeah, I think that that's fair. In blue, we've got... So here I feel pretty confident about Omen of the Sea, number one. And then I think it sort of diverges depending on your flavor of blue. So I'm going to throw this at you here on the fly, Ben. So you've got Deny the Divine at number two and Vexing Gull at number three. And I want to pose to you that perhaps if you're in a more controlling deck, that it's Deny to Thirst 3, or perhaps Swapped, Thirst number 2, Deny number 3. And that if you're more assertive, that Gull and Ichthyomorphosis are your 2 and 3.
0: I don't think Ichthyomorphosis gets in the top 3 for me regardless. I can see Vexingull moving ahead of Deny if you are the blue-red tempo aggro deck. Okay, that's fair. Moving on to Black, no changes here. Myers Grasp 1, Final Death 2, Venomous Hierophant 3, Catablepus honorable mention. I do think the thing that's changed for me about black is that what we talked about in the roundtable. I'm very cognizant of whether or not I want to fight for black.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's got to be on our minds, perhaps for the entirety of the format. But certainly, it feels like the meta game right now is black is the hotness, and and figuring out if you want to fight over it or not. And
0: honestly, that's one of my least favorite things about the format. Is it just feels like a game of chicken. And that's not yeah. that's not particularly interesting to me. And I feel like I've lost <laughs> the game of chicken <laughs> a
1: lot. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, in red, we've got iros's Blessing 1, Incendiary Oracle 2 and Underworld Ragehound 3. And I think honorable mention Omen of the Forge. But I want threats rather than answers. And I think Omen of the Forge has diminishing returns. I don't think deal two is very important in a lot of matchups. Right.
0: I do think one of the things that came up in our testing meeting is the higher you pick Omen of the Sun, the higher you can pick the two and a red sack a creature and enchantment to deal five to a creature. Yeah, for sure. Last green, we've got Voracious Typhon one, Warbriar Blessing two, and Lozem Chimera three.
1: Yeah. So bye-bye, Elise and added, And honestly, I kind of think Skola Grove Dancer, honorable mention number four. That card just keeps moving up and up and up for me. Card's great. We've got a a pretty tentative here, but I, I feel... Okay, at least about like most of these. Uh, top 10 commons overall in the format. Should we go bottom up here? Let's go bottom up. All right, number 10, Blight Breath Catablipus. Number nine, Venomous Hierophant. Number eight, Omen of the Sea.
0: Number seven, Daybreak Chimera with an asterisk. <laughs> number six, Warbriar's Blessing. Number five, Voracious Typhon. Number four, Iroas's Blessing. Number three, Dreadful
1: Apathy. Number two, Final Death. And number one, Meyer's Grasp. So get at us about uh, what you disagree with here. Uh, interested to hear people's takes. And obviously, these lists are, you know, not they're not super important, honestly, because once you get past the first couple picks in a, a pack, even after pack one, um, your your pick orders are going to start to warp around. Yeah, you apply context, as they say in the Sherlock Holmes Netflix series, yeah, boy. All right, so we're gonna dive into a couple archetypes here. I wanted to talk about. Shout out to Blue Green Constellation, Ben. This is one of my favorite decks in the format.
0: Yeah, lay it on me. Stealing my, stealing my jam here.
1: No, it's it's great. This is now Lords of Limited canon here. So the game plan for this deck is, I think it's at its best as a tempo aggro deck. You want to leverage a good curve of creatures and evasive threats with cheap ways to interact. I think this is also the best shell for five color good stuff with karyatids and omen of the hunts. But a note about that, this is sort of to dovetail off what we're talking about, about how I think the cards that you take early in the pack are worth sticking around for. A lot of people are sticking to their bombs or taking bombs in pack two or even pack three and jumping ship for them. So I think they're getting passed a lot less frequently, which makes drafting a five-color good stuff deck a lot worse. Um, and a lot of the best rares to jump ship for or to get past are double-pipped, which is a nod for Lee's and Carry Added being fixing for you, but also a nod that like this deck is I think harder to get into or to rely on than in previous formats. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. So, cards that pull me into this deck specifically, and I tried to not include like just good blue or green rares. So, I think obviously, you know, something like Kiora Best the Sea God, it might be better in a deck like this that has Ramp as well, backed up by green to say putting it in just like a blue black deck but i think the cure best to see is just a pull into blue so i tried to like leave those off but thinking about cards that pull me into this deck specifically we've got protean thaumaturge this card is really good this is the one in a blue rare it's a one one with constellation when you have a constellation trigger you can have it become a copy of any other creature on the battlefield and it retains this ability this card works really well in conjunction with omens in particular being able to you know, change the creature that this is at instant speed is pretty big game. Uh, Satesan champion is another card. Again, this is just a pull into green period, but I think is probably at its best either in green, black or green, blue. This is the one three for two and a green with constellation. It gets a plus one plus one counter and you draw a card. I had the pleasure of playing with both Dryad of the Elysian Grove. This is the 2-4 that lets your mana tap for any color, and you can play an additional land each turn. And Enigmatic Incarnation. This is the Birthing Pod variant, the two green-blue. At the beginning of your end step, you can like you know sacrifice an enchantment you control and then find a creature from your library with CMC, one greater than that enchantment, and put it into play. I had a five-color brew that only ran Islands and Forests with Enigmatic Incarnation and Dryad of the Elysian Grove. It was pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, I saw that deck on Twitter. Can confirm. Very sweet.
1: And then, you know, you've got cards like Uro, Thassa, Nylea, Kiora Best the Sea God, First in Games. Like, these are all just good blue-green cards. And obviously, Uro is a pull into blue-green. But, like, those other blue and green rares are strong, but not necessarily pulls into blue-green. At the uncommon level, I believe Utropia is the best of the gold uncommons, and I think it is the most important piece of this puzzle. I was looking through like my blue-green decks that have been successful, blue-green decks in our Discord that have been successful, and Utropia is a, a common thread among them. Uh, other notable uncommons, Destiny Spinner, Shimmerwing Chimera, Nessian Wanderer, not a pull into the deck, but I do think it is a nice include, and Nyx Herald, I think, is at its best in blue-green.
0: Agree with that. I've been pretty underwhelmed by Nessian and Wander as a card. That's the one G one three that whenever an enchantment ETBs, is, you get to look at the top three and put a land from among them into your hand.
1: Yeah, I mean the card again. As I said, I think in the deck is like a C plus. It can lead to flooding. So like you know, depending on if you've got mana sinks or not or like what your curve looks like, you may want to, you know, this may cause you to run one less land in your deck or something like that. But I do think in this deck, it is good. I I would be surprised if I don't think I would ever cut it.
0: Yeah, I agree. It definitely is at its best here. And I think it is a good card when you have the shell around it. It's just been less good than I would have thought.
1: Yeah. So looking at how to get into this deck, I do think an early Utropia is the most common way to get into it. Or, you know, you have green cards and you see that blue is the second most open color for you, but you're getting the more like assertive cards, like you're obviously the Omen of the Sea, but if you're getting Vexing Gulls or Ichthyomorphosis or Witness of Tomorrows as the blue cards rather than Thirst for Meaning or Deny the Divine, I think that's when I go, okay, well, maybe I'm going to jump into blue-green. The blue commons for this deck that I think you want don't compete with the blue control player cards. So you're usually in the clear in that respect. Yeah, that's good. So uh, looking at the curve of like good creatures at common and uncommon, we'll go like from two on up looking at cards like Skola Grove Dancer, Destiny Spinner, Stinging Lionfish and Nessian Wanderer. And sometimes the carry added at two Uh, at three Utropia top of the heap here. And then you're really just like kind of looking for stats Hyrex, Tower Scout, and Lothsome Chimera are fine. Gull, I think, is good here as just an evasive threat that wears uh, enchantments well. Uh, Nyad of the Hidden Coves as like a creature that can make your gulls cheaper, that also triggers Constellation. All that's good stuff. Uh, at four, you're looking at Shimmerwing Chimera is probably the best. Getting to like rebuy your Cetessan trainings or Starlet Mantles or whatever is very cute. Retriggering Eutropia, etc. Rebuying those omens of the sea. Yeah, m- omen of the sea for sure. And then just more raw stats, voracious typhon, and probably even better than Typhon in these assertive green decks is Nylia's Huntmaster. Like Whoa, better than Typhon? Here's here's what I'm saying. Is that these assertive green decks, I think in like Green, blue, and green, red. I feel pretty strongly that in green, red, Huntmaster is better than Typhon because green, red doesn't care about a 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven down the road. Like, you want the game to be over. When you get to that point where you can do that, you're probably not winning the game. I feel less confident about that in blue-green in particular. But Nylea's Huntmaster has really impressed me. And when you're curving out, I think it's better than Typhon. That seems like a hot take to me. But you're winning more than I am, so... Also at the 4-drop slot, I like Triton Wave Rider. This is the 4-mana 3-3 three three Constellation against gains flying. Uh, it's been... Pretty easy to turn on these decks. Uh, looking at the top end here, Witness of Tomorrow's and Nylea's Forerunner as great enchantment creatures. And like a Ferris Band Brawler at your very top end is just perfect as like its it stats and tempo, and removal, all in one. It's a really, really good curve topper. Looking at non-creatures, I think this deck gets a a nice mix, but you really do want it to be a heavy creature-based deck. Uh, You get access to Return to Nature and Mystic Repeal. I'm at about still two copies main deck and any number to have access in the sideboard. Your removal, you don't get a lot. You get Warbriar's Blessing, Ichthyomorphosis, and One with the Stars. Blessing is obviously the best, but this is what you get, and you're going to play... Ichthyo and one with the stars in these decks.
0: Have you assembled the Shimmerwing Chimera Warbriar's Blessing machine gun tech yet? I have, yeah. It's
1: pretty oppressive. I've had someone do it to me. I haven't been able to do it yet. You don't really, it, it doesn't really feel like the machine gun because, like, you basically get to do it twice. And if your opponent can't answer it, they're going to concede. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh Satessin so training is great in this deck triggers constellation draws you a card gives your dumb threats trample starlet mantle a nice trick to trigger constellation protects a creature pick it back up with shimmering chimera And Stern Dismissal, again, just like cheap instant speed interaction. That's what this deck wants.
0: So you want Blue Green to be beating down here?
1: Yes. I think it's possible if you like get some bombs or if you have Thassa and it's able to like do some abusive things with like Illyrios or something. Like maybe you want to build this a different way. But all of my best Blue Green decks have been Curve Out decks.
0: Okay, very cool. And that goes along with our threats
1: on board. Yes, exactly. And I think that also goes along with what I believe are archetype underperformers here. The counterspells and thirst for meaning, I don't think is what these decks want. You're not passing with mana up very often. If you think about it's a deck of curving out with creatures, it's very, very rare, save for like Vexing Gull. And I think if you have a number of those, maybe you can think about bringing in counter spells, but you generally just want to be presenting threats that need to be answered and not waiting to answer threats or protect your threats because your threats are pretty redundant. So I think. Counterspells and Thirst go down here. Nyxborn Seaguard, again, like, yeah, it's an enchantment creature. It's it's good, like a 2-5 for 4 is good, but you don't want a 2-power creature for 4-mana in this deck. Uh, similar, Shoal Kraken, 5-mana 3-5. Yes, it has Constellation as a trigger, but it doesn't beat down well, and I think that's what the deck wants. And again, I'll put Nexus Wardens in that shell as well. You don't want a 3-mana 1-4 in this deck. I think it's fine to come out, out of the board if you feel like you're in an aggro matchup or against Flyers, but... Main deck, I don't think it's what this deck wants. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. Um, so uh, thinking about the curve, like I said, it's a classic threats on board deck. High creature count, raw stats, cheap interaction. If you can affect the board turns two through four, two through five, and then have removal or a Ferris Band Brawler or something to close that door, it's generally how the deck plays out. And of course, Utropia offers quite a bit of reach.
0: And one of the things this deck does well, too, is it's got that threat density that we talked about last week, you know, that your sealed decks want. you. You really don't want tons of air. In your deck in this format i feel pretty strongly about that
1: i agree completely and then thinking about sideboard plans this deck has a lot of nice options out of the board if blue and green are open i think you're going to have a lot of good tool kit cards to swap in and out of you get extra return to natures you get plummets as good silver bullet type cards gift of strength as well against flyers or dream trawler specifically that's one of the few ways you can answer dream trawler cleanly Um, You do get counter magic from blue if you feel like, well, I'm going to be on the play and I need to deal with an expensive bomb or something. As I said, you get Nexus Wardens for flyers and aggro matchups And Moss Vipers and uh, Riptide Turtles are good against like big dumb creatures or escape aggro decks. So you do get a lot of good tools uh, at common to swap in and out of. Yeah, I have not drafted blue green in the way that you've outlined it. My blue green
0: decks have been more controlly splashy. So need to try out the blue green beats.
1: Yeah, shout out to blue green beats. What uh, what deck do you want to talk about here, Ben? My first deck that I want to outline is
0: white aggro. I think and it pairs best with red so white red aggro but i also think you know you can have white blue aggro decks white black aggro decks when you get into green like white green is just more of a, an even split deck but this is like heavy white and then the other color playing a supporting role really the goal of the deck is you want to curve out with pious wayfarer that's the one drop that whenever an enchantment etbs you give target creature plus one plus one until eot you curve that into hero of the Pride. You're getting in some early chip damage, you know, you're, you're getting the triggers off the Pious Wayfarer to push through damage, and then you finish your opponent off by casting a Wrap in Flames, targeting your own heroes to pump your team, either plus one plus oh or plus two plus oh, and or remove blockers as needed to get the finishing blow in. And I think you can also, if you want to, play a more mid-rangey role with a heavy white deck if you get, you know, the Heliod's Pilgrims, the Dreadful Apathies, I think white's a very deep and underrated color right now and i think this deck is one of the main ways to leverage that i think white's borderline as deep as black there are a lot of good white commons
1: i think it's the second deepest color in the set for sure
0: yeah so cards that pull me into this deck specifically i mean i i didn't quite do what you did i mean there's some busted white rares pretty much any good white rare pulls you into the deck heliod archon of Sons, grace one of the best rares specifically for this deck is Tyranica, a Crowen Veteran. That's the one white, white, 3-3 three, three Vigilance. And whenever it attacks, untap another target creature you control. Until end of turn, that creature has base power and toughness 4-4 four, four and Indestructible. That is a house in this deck. And then just any other good white rares that you happen to open as far as uncommons that really slot well into this deck commanding presence. This is definitely the best home for commanding presence, although commanding presence is just a good card in a vacuum as well. Yeah. And Reverend Hoplite, if you get into the heavy white version of the deck can do some serious work. Uh, that's the four and a white one two. that whenever at ETBs you make one one soldier tokens equal to your devotion to white. One of the best ways to go wide and take advantage of the heroes that you're trying to target with rapid flames.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of the white cards around this hero deck really came into the clear for me in our limited testing meeting. Um, I felt like I didn't quite understand. I hadn't you know, watched a lot of Kyle Rose's stream, who I think has sort of made the sort of hero Rapid Flames deck famous. And it was really helpful for me to hear people discussing the cards that that this deck really wants.
0: Yeah, and I think other ways to get into this deck are just wheeling some late commons. If you're ever wheeling Sentinel's Eyes, Pious Wayfarer, or Hero of the Pride, I think this deck is likely open, and I think you should move in. I think it's a good enough deck that if you're getting those cards on the wheel, that's a sign for me, hey, I want to draft white aggro. So if we take a look at the creature curve in the one drop slot, Pious Wayfarer and Alsaid of Life's Bounty, that's the 1-1 lifelinker that can sacrifice itself to protect something that is an enchantment creature.
1: Or, Or an enchantment. You can protect your enchantment from like a return to nature.
0: Ooh, snap. Yeah. Didn't realize that. In the twos, Hero of the Pride, Transcendent Envoy looks like kind of a junker, but it's a card you're happy to play in this deck. So it's one and a white for the one, two flyer. It's an enchantment creature and makes your auras cost one less to cast. You don't really care about that text so much. You just want a one, two flyer enchantment creature. As strange as that sounds, like it pulls its weight in this deck and then the aura reducing cost is just gravy. So triggering your Pious Wayfarers, it wears stuff like Commanding Presence super well, just an evasive threat that's going to get in some damage is good.
1: Like this feels like the golden egg of the white aggro deck, like triggering Wayfarer really takes advantage of the plus one plus zero from the hero. A lot of the time, if it's a two mana, two, two flyer, the fact that like it turns your Indomitable Will into a one mana trick, like it does look quite a bit in these decks.
0: Yep. Leon of the Lost Pride also pulls its weight, uh, this dying and triggering to exile escape creatures is super relevant if you slap a sentinel's eyes on this it's a 4-2 vigilance that your opponent doesn't really want to trade with Um, daxos obviously great in the two drop slot and moving on to the threes heliod's pilgrim is a key one there omen of the sun can do a great job helping you go wide with your heroes giving you some soldier tokens to target with that pump Favorite of Aroas is very good here. That's the two and a white 2-2 two, two, that can gain double strike. If you have an enchantment ETB that turn, that can threaten to do massive amounts of damage. In the white-red version of the deck, obviously Hero of the Nyxborn is insane. That's the red-white gold uncommon. Hero of the Games, even, in red-white can do some work. That's the two and a red 3-2. If you're in a pinch for heroes, that can get the job done. And this is also one of the best homes, in addition to white-black for Dawn Angel. That's the two and a white for a 2-2. And whenever a creature dies, if an aura you controlled was attached to it, return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to your hand. This in tandem with Sentinel's Eyes can make a loop that is really tough to deal with. Like your opponent oftentimes has to spend a removal on Dawn Evangel, Otherwise, you just keep forcing through threats with Sentinel's Eyes and keep escaping Sentinel's Eyes and rebuying
1: your two drops. Yeah, this with land in the Lost Pride is basically infinite four twos, right? Yeah, which is pretty strong. Pretty strong. In the 4-drop slot, there's not a lot of good
0: white 4s. Sunmane Pegasus, I think, is the only one I'm really happy about. And then the 5s, Daybreak Chimera and Reverent Hoplite. As far as non-creatures you're looking for, Dreadful Apathy and Sentinel's Eyes are great. Commanding Presence, great. Banishing Light, any of the removal, really. Uh, This is the best home for Heliod's Punishment. That's the one-in-a-white enchant creature aura that... It puts four task counters on the creature and the creature has to tap to remove the task counters before it can attack or block or use abilities again. And then as far as tricks, Indomitable Will and Karametra's Blessing both do very good work here and you want uh, multiple copies, I think, of each of those. Although Eyes is much more important than Indomitable Will, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true.
0: And then in the white-red version of the deck, uh, the red cards you're looking to splash, oftentimes the you really want your creature curve to be heavy white because you want your mana to be pretty good and pretty even. So looking to maybe splash some Rapid Flames, eros's Blessing, Impending Doom does some serious work here. That's the Oaken form for red. And Fateful End is a really nice removal spell at instant speed. In White Splash Blue, Starlit Mantle is very good. And you can also really build a tempo version of the deck that's kind of get ahead, stay ahead if you've got Deny the Divines and other counter spells and things like that. Staggering Insight is one of the best cards in the Heavy White Blue version. That's the Blue White Gold Uncommon. Uh, That gives your creature plus one, plus one, lifelink, and whenever it connects, you draw a card. So all things to look out for. But honestly, this deck is, at its core, a white deck. And then you're just supplementing whatever cards of whatever color you get. Maybe it's a rare, maybe it's good removal, to go along with that white curve of creatures and really try to be aggressive.
1: So I I want to talk about two cards you've listed here, Rapid Flames and Impending Doom. So for folks who haven't played with or against this deck, can you talk about and Flames and the number of copies that you're looking for in a deck like this? I think two to three, depending on
0: what your removal suite looks like and your hero count. Like The more heroes you have and the more tokens you're making, the more and Flames goes up in value. Um, it's just a really flexible card that can remove blockers and or be you know as many as plus three plus O to your team if you've got three heroes on board and that's what you need to get the job done. And then Impending Doom is just... An insane aura, uh, so much better than Oaken Form. You know, I was joking that like, like, do we really want this Oaken Form? Like, you were you were excited about this in the crash course, but Red doesn't get stuff like this. So if you go if you go one drop Pious Wayfarer and then Impending Doom on it, and you can hold up Karametra's Blessing, I mean, it's a really really big threat. So
1: I had a long conversation on my stream last night about Impending Doom. Someone had had said like, why is they they, they use that exact thing? They were like, why is Oaken Form with downside good? I ended up talking about this for a lot longer on stream, but I'm going to sort of synthesize my comments here on the show because I think it's important that when you say something like it's form with Downside, that's a good baseline for card evaluation, I think. But there are a lot of other factors to consider about Impending Doom than just being like, well, I'm going to make this one-to-one uh, analogy about the card and leave it at that. Now, thinking about it in the context of this set, one, this is a set where enchantments matter and targeting creatures matter and this is in a color where targeting creatures matter in red and this is the biggest stats we get at common or uncommon plus three plus three is a lot of stats and i think if you think about it in the context of like well with a heliod's pilgrim then you're not really getting two for one right you just like go search it up put it on your pilgrim and now you have a four or five that only really cost you a card like yes it cost you six mana over two turns but i think there's a lot more to think about with a card like impending doom than to just like compare it to a card in another color from another set and be like well it's just worse
0: yeah i think that's definitely true so if we move on to archetype underperformers for this white aggro deck captivating unicorn a lot of times you want to have them dead by the time that's relevant but you can play a one or two at the top of your curve not exciting though Glory bearers in a pinch is an enchantment creature you can play in the four drop slot like three, four is not embarrassing, but really not anything you need to go out of your way for revoke existence. This is one of the most often cuts I suggest when people post decks like this in the discord. A lot of times they've got a revoke existence or two in the deck. You really just can't afford to not have a target for this. That is something that's on the board that you're removing. You definitely want all of your cards to do something and you want to close the game out quickly, but you definitely still want access to it in the sideboard. Hero of the Winds, this is the three and a white one four flyer uh, that has the hero text. You'll play it, but it's not the most exciting. You really want more power than one for the four mana you're investing in Hero of the Winds. When you target it, it turns into a two four flyer. I mean, it's playable, but not exciting in the deck. I think the worst of the heroes that you could have for the deck. And then Archon of the Falling Stars, the four white white four four, that when it dies, you return an aura from your graveyard to the battlefield. It's a little expensive, but if you're in the mid range version of the deck, definitely want to be including Archon.
1: Yeah, I agree with all that.
0: It's a super aggressive deck as far as curve, uh, but it really does have surprising staying power into the late game. I think largely on the back of Sentinel's Eyes. I love that card. You're telling me I'm way too high on it, but Sentinel's Eyes is my jam currently in the format. Uh, I've only been able to get into the deck a couple times, but it has felt great, and Sentinel's Eyes has felt like one of the best cards in the deck every time I've gotten into it.
1: If your draft on stream yesterday was any indication, yes, you are too high on Sentinel's Eyes. (laughs) At almost all points on the
0: curve, uh, you've got really good creatures that are relevant threats at all points in the game. Pious Warfare is your one drop. It's going to get in damage, and it still helps you push damage through on turn seven, turn eight, if you're landing enchantment creatures, especially if you've got multiple Pious Wayfarers, So I just think this deck has a really good aggressive start and also competes pretty well in the game. As far as sideboarding plans, there's not a ton going on here. You can board into extra Caremetra's Blessings, maybe, if you're against a deck with a lot of removal. Uh, But this deck very much wants... The opponent to react to it so maybe you're citing in some revoke existence if you're sure your opponent's got enchantment creatures um one of the things that you can do out of the sideboard is if white was really open and you got a lot of pieces for the deck sometimes you can actually do a little deck swap between you know aggro and mid-range as far as game plan so if you really want to compete later you can shift your game to a more mid-range version of the deck
1: oh sweet i've never done that I found that like Wrap in Flames is often a flex card for me, like thinking about being on the player, the draw with it, but maybe it just needs to be in the deck the whole time. Yeah,
0: I think it depends on your hero count.
1: Yeah, Wrap Flames has really impressed me. I like finally this week got to draft, started to draft this deck and realized like at a certain point it's the only card you want to draw.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think the last deck we want to talk about here is not necessarily, I think this is the one exception in the format to the threats on board philosophy. I mean, as you can see that white aggro deck really trying to get on board early pressure your opponent. Uh, These blue heavy draw gull decks uh, as, (laughs) as they've been popularized. um, I think there's two versions of this deck. One is more aggressive and one is almost full controlling. And I think knowing where you're at on that aggro control spectrum is very important to the heavy blue deck success. And you really want to play draw go magic with either instant speed threats, draw counters, you know, in some mixture and each part of, you know, the threats, the draw, the counters is very important to the deck success. So I, I got in trouble with this at GP New Jersey in that I got none of the card draw and you really need each one of those pieces in the right amount to really make the deck tick. And one of the, best and worst parts i think about this deck is that it's mostly based around commons which means blue really needs to be open and you need to get deep into blue for the deck to tick and i think one of the the downsides is this deck when it wins wins super hard but sometimes it struggles at dealing with threats after they're on board so you know for example if you're playing this blue deck and you're matched up against white aggro it's it's a really 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 tough matchup for you
1: yeah, I the, my first real experience was when I played against the winner of GP New Jersey, uh, Isaac Crute. Uh He had a blue white control deck out of our first draft on day two. And it was phenomenal. I think it had like three thirsts two deny the divines, omen of the seas, ichthyomorphosis. He had two Sun main Pegasus to like help him claw back. Yes, he had a Dream Trawler, but I will say again, didn't show up until game three and it wasn't relevant. It wasn't the thing that that was going to close the door anyway. Um, he just like play a real patience game. You have Riptide Turtles as well as really strong ways to like invalidate a number of cards like blue does have all the pieces. But then I do think you need something else at like uncommon or rare, either from blue or from a second color to, to help you get that power level.
0: Right, and I think, so, if we're if we're thinking about the aggro versus control spectrum, I think blue-black and blue-white really want to be on the controlling end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. Assu- assuming you're heavy blue, and that blue-red wants to be the tempo aggro version of the deck.
1: Agreed, yeah.
0: So cards that pull me into the deck specifically, rares, Thassa's Oracle really sh- shines in the blue control versions of the deck as an alternate win condition. Wave Break Hippocamp, just insane in any version of the deck. That's the rare that lets you draw cards for the first time you cast a spell on an opponent's turn. Thrix is obviously busted, but at its best in the blue flash decks when your opponent is probably thinking about Deny the Divine or Thirst for Knowledge and not not a 4-5 flyer that's going to eat their attacker. Uh, QR Best the Sea God, obviously insane in the control version of the deck. And then this is one of the best homes for Thassa's intervention as well. Having the duality on that card to be a counter spell or a card draw spell is very, very good.
1: Yeah. Uncommons, I think probably top of the heap if we're talking about go is Threnody Singer. Illyrios is great. It's just raw stats. Stinging Lionfish is basically the best aggressive two drop in blue. So it's nice as a two power body. And then also nice as being able to like add some tempo to the spells that you're casting on your opponent's turn and Mischievous Chimera. I think when you build blue red as a tempo aggro deck, the one damage from this card starts to add up pretty quickly.
0: Right, really lets you close out the game. Yeah. So we take a look at the creature curve, not super deep on the creatures here. In the twos, Stinging Lionfish, Threnody Singer, Mischievous Chimera, if you're in blue-red. And I think Riptide Turtle, you really only want if you're control. And I think you need to know when you want Riptide Turtle and when you don't. And the other thing, I've played a fair amount of Riptide Turtles, and I've lost a lot with these blue decks. I think mostly because of not having the pieces right. One thing I will say about Riptide Turtle is it gets absolutely embarrassed by Venomous Hierophant.
1: Yeah, yeah, Venomous Hierophant, Meyer Triton. Yeah,
0: I, I agree with that. So it's not all upside. You know, everyone was saying Turtle, 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 so good. There are cards that absolutely make Turtle look terrible.
1: I think Thirst for Meaning is another card that makes Turtle a lot better. One because like you can sort of feel like you're you're running out of gas when the Turtle gets invalidated, and then also like maybe when you don't want this, the third copy to play, you can pitch it. I think Thirst for Meaning plays really well with Riptide Turtle. Yep, agree. Moving up to the three drop slot, I think you know it's it's blue draw Gull, and I think vexing Gull, depending on what end of the spectrum you're at, can be the most important piece of this puzzle. And I've been very impressed in blue red when it's a tempo aggro deck that Vexing Gull, I just want as many copies of this as I can get my hands on. I think it's it's it looks very unassuming as just a three mana, two, two flyer, but the fact that it has flash and has the options with the rest of the pieces in the deck can sometimes be two mana with the next card down, Nyad of Hidden Coves. Vexing Gull, I think, is a, a sleeper for these kinds of decks.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it goes in... Both versions of the deck, which is one of the reasons it's in the top blue commons for me now. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it's just like it can just be your it can kind of be your, your win con or one of your win cons in the control decks.
0: Yep, and then I think moving on to the fours, Nixborn Seaguard does some serious work in the control version of the deck, uh, but you only want that in the controlling version of the deck. And then non creature curve, almost as important as the creature curve here. The one drop we got Stern Dismissal, as you know, wanting one to two copies, especially in the tempo aggro deck, and maybe one copy in the control deck. In the twos, Omen of the Sea is insane in both versions of the deck. Glimpse of Freedom can really do some work, especially in blue-red as a color pair that doesn't get much escape. So if you don't have escape, I think you want Glimpse. If you do have other escape cards, you don't want Glimpse of Freedom. That's the, the draw card that has escape five to cast it again.
1: Yeah, Sweet Oblivion on the other end of the spectrum, I think is great in control. I think, you know, Sweet Oblivion plus Thassa's Oracle is the the complete package there, but I do think you can build of like a true control deck that has a bunch of removal and card draw, and then Sweet Oblivion is your like once the dust settles, I'm just gonna like mill you for eight, mill you for eight. Yep.
0: And I think Starlet Mantle in the two drop slot, depending on your creature count, that one's a little more hit or miss. And then the threes is where you really start to shine. So deny the divine, thirst for knowledge, and whirlwind denial as counterspell card draw options there, and then Ichthyomorphosis to a lesser extent as a way later in the game to maybe deal with a threat that your opponent stuck on the board. And then in a pinch in the fours, you can have memory drain. That's two blue blue counter target spell, but you'd obviously prefer deny the divine.
1: I think again ichthyomorphosis is important in the non-blue-white blue-black versions. Cause in blue-black and blue-white, you have other ways to other and better ways to deal with larger threats. In blue-red, you don't. Ichtheomorphosis is your way to like lock down voracious typhon or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in terms of archetype underperformers, I think it really just depends what flavor of this deck you're building. Like you need to avoid the aggro cards in the control version and the control cards in the aggro versions. And I think you don't want to end up mid-range because you're just going to get out mid-ranged by like stats.deck or whatever, like other mid-range decks. That's been one of my
0: biggest problems with this deck for sure. Yeah.
1: I think you want to be aware of what The style of deck you're building is and go hard in that direction.
0: Yep. Uh, Other underperformers removal that is expensive, that makes you tap out like one with the stars. I mean, you'll play it, but you're not thrilled with it. And then I think clunky threats like Witness of Tomorrow's or Brine Giant, again, that are expensive, that are going to cause you to tap out. You really want goals to close out the game.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons the gull is so good, not only because it's a good evasive threat, but because it just lines up with the rest of what the deck is doing. Just being able to go, cool, pass the turn, your opponent has no idea what to do. They have to play into your counter spells. You get to decide if you want to counter the thing. If not, you get to deploy another threat.
0: As far as the curve, you want the curve to be as low as possible, I think, in both the aggro and control versions, because once you hit turn five, having the option to double spell is really, really powerful. Like being able to play a threat, a two drop threat, and hold up a counter spell is really good, or being able to stick an omen and hold up a counter spell or whatever you you really value those 2 and 3 mana cards. And I think if you're if you're talking about the cards that make the deck tick, I think the holy trinity for the deck is Omen of the Sea, Deny the Divine, and Vexing Goal. Those three cards you're going to play as many copies of as you can get in any version of the deck, whether it's control or aggro.
1: Yeah, and then just thinking about, you know, I think aggro is at its best as blue red and thinking about it as a as a tempo shell or whatever, and then control is at its best with blue black or blue white. Yep. If
0: you're sideboarding when you're control, just sideboarding answers to match up as best as possible against threats. Like maybe you need to side out your turtles if your opponent's got Hierophants, or maybe you need to sideboard in some memory drains if your opponent has, you know, an Ashiok or whatever so that your counterspell can nab the Ashiok. And when you're aggro, not a ton of sideboarding going on. You really are doing your thing. Like you want to curve out. You want to stick the gulls, You want to have counterspells. You want the opponent to be reacting to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there are things like... Do you want that second Omen of the Forge or do you want to cut that first one? You know, like things like that, like cards that feel like situational or that like have diminishing returns. Do you want to cut them completely or do you want to load up on more of them? That's that's what I've uh, That's been my experience with the Aggro decks.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I think that is a great place to wrap us up. Three very strong archetypes uh, in the format for you to go forth and draft. And I'm looking forward to trying to get into them and get my win
1: rate up. Yeah. Shout out to Blue Green. Thank you, as
0: always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen.
1: Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash lordtupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash mrmetronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, please shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited.
0: Thanks, everybody. See you later.